Today, as we conclude our series, Love Lessons, we come to one of the most critical characteristics of love, and that is that love tells the truth. And this is so controversial in our culture today. We live in a culture where we don't want anything to do with truth, especially absolute truth, because we think it just boxes our lives in and limits us. And yet what we actually discover is it brings freedom to our lives. And so today, lots of people are basing it on how they feel or their preferences, their political uh, persuasions, instead of on truth. Why do we need truth, and especially absolute truth? Because it's the foundation of our relationships. If I don't trust you and you don't trust me, what do we have? If, if in our marriages we don't trust one another, in, in a child-parenting relationship, whatever friendship you, or relationship you have, If you don't have trust, you don't have anything. It is the very core and the foundation upon which we build. And that's why it becomes critical that we trust God. It's the foundation of our relationship. And so my prayer this weekend is simply this, that we will speak the truth, but we will do it through the vehicle of love. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. One day, a little boy came running out of the bathroom screaming. And his mom thought maybe he'd gotten hurt, and so she ran over there, and after she got him calmed down, she said, what's, what's wrong? And he said, I dropped my toothbrush in the toilet. And so she encouraged him with these words. She said, it's okay, honey, we'll throw it away, and we'll get you a new toothbrush. And his eyes got really big and he ran back into the bathroom and he came out with his mom's toothbrush and he said, Mommy, we should throw this one away and get you a new one too. And she said, why? It fell in the toilet a week ago. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear, isn't it? Sometimes the truth is hard to handle. But the question that we have to ask as we think about that illustration is this, when do you want to know the truth? How long do you want to wait until you hear the truth. You see, we should want to know it right away so we don't have to spend the whole week brushing our teeth with toilet water. Now, I want to contrast two famous statements when it comes to truth. One is from a movie that I have not watched. I'm not endorsing. I'm not encouraging you to watch. But the reason that I know of this is it was such a powerful statement in its time when it was made. And there's a lawyer, and he's talking to this uh, person who is being accused of things. And they're in the courtroom, and he's starting to get frustrated with this individual, and he yells out, I want to know the truth. And the defendant yells back, you can't handle the truth. 
And I wonder today, is that some of us where we can't handle the truth? Where we don't really want to know the truth. And for some of us, we get sick. We don't want to go to the doctor because we don't really want to find out what's wrong because of fear. Some of us, we can't handle the truth. We, we want to go tell everybody else the truth, but, but we don't want to hear it for ourselves. And so we're like the proverbial ostrich where we bury our head in the sand. The other famous statement is from Jesus in John 8.32. He said this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you, and hear it, the truth will set you free. Yeah, free. How many of you want to be free today? How do we find freedom? Is it by just following our feelings or or our political agendas? No, it is by following Jesus Christ. It's the truth that ultimately sets us free. You see, here's the reality. That journey with Jesus in truth is not an easy one. You see, it's a pretty narrow way, and people, people don't want a narrow way today. And for many of us, what we do is we want to have one foot in the word and one foot in the world. We, we sort of want to straddle the fence of truth so that part of our life is lived in the light and part of it is being lived in the lies. Now, this weekend is not just the wrap-up of this series, Love Lessons. It's not just the last sermon in the series. It's my last sermon to you as your pastor to a congregation, to sheep that I I love dearly. And lots of pastors over the years have found themselves in this place where it's their last week and they're wrestling through, what do I want my church to know? What have I not told them? What am I going to preach on my last Sunday? Now, fortunately for me, I don't have to wrestle with that. Because God knew four months ago when we started this series that this would be my last weekend. We didn't know it, but he knew. And he knew my heart. And he knew that if there was anything I was going to preach on my last weekend, it would be tell the truth. But do it through the vehicle of love. Follow Jesus. You see, as I met with the staff for the last time this week, I challenged them with this. I said, your greatest calling, your number one priority is not what they hired you to do. It's not your job description. It's not to be the best worship leader you can be or or to do the most amazing things with youth or to have the greatest children's ministry or to get the greatest number of people involved in life groups. Your number one priority and calling is to love one another as a staff. Because if you don't do that, everything else doesn't matter. Because we could get up and have the greatest worship set, but if we can't learn to love one another in the church, it's just hypocrisy. Church, what is your number one calling as parishioners? And guess what? Tomorrow I join you. I'm not going to be a preacher. I'll be a parishioner. Amen. Right? I'll get to go to church and sit with my wife and listen to teaching at times. But what is our number one calling? Is it not to love one another? And isn't it amazing how hard that is to do? Some of you, you're you're newlyweds, and you're so in love, and you're sitting there going, I don't understand what he's talking about, marriage being hard. Some of you have been married 10, 20, 30 years, and your greatest struggle is learning to love your spouse and love your kids, love your coworkers, love your neighbors, love your enemies. Isn't it amazing how hard it is for us to just do what Jesus Christ called us to do, to speak truth in love? And so as we come back to 1 Corinthians 13, where it tells us to speak the truth in love, we have to realize this. Before you can be a truth talker, you have to be, number one, a truth walker. 
Are you willing to walk in truth? Here's what John, the disciple that Jesus loved, said in 3 John chapter 1, verse 3. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Isn't that an amazing statement? That they went to John, these believers, and they said, hey, those believers over there, they're still following the truth. They're still walking in the truth. They are still loving Jesus. And what did that do for John? It gave him great joy. Those of you that are parents, to watch your children walk in the truth, to watch them share their faith with their friends at school, to watch them live out the Christian life, it gives you no greater joy. There is no greater joy than that as a parent. But what does it mean to walk in truth? You see, the word walk here is not what we think of when you parked your car and you had to actually walk to get in here. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses because from the cradle to the grave, we are constantly in motion. We're on a journey. And hopefully today that journey for you is with Jesus. But you see, as we're journeying along, as we're walking, it says that we're to do it in truth, to walk in truth. What does that mean? It means for you and I to rely on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the garbage of this world. To make the decisions that we're going to make in our businesses, to make the decisions that we're going to make in our parenting, in our families, in our marriage, to base those on the gospel, the Bible, the word of God, and not the influence of the world. Not what the world's doing, but what the word tells us to do. Now, sometimes when it comes to truth, we can have blockages in our life. And I brought my buddy with me today. This is Bones. Say hi to Bones. Bones, I actually discovered kind of a fun thing while I was sitting in my office after I prayed. Don't worry. Uh, Super spiritual first. But I noticed that he can actually kind of talk a little bit. He's just lacking a tongue and some vocal cords. Minor things. But here's what I want you to understand about Bones. And this is something true about each of us, right? There is a head and there is a body. Now, hopefully, unlike bones, hopefully that doesn't happen to you. Okay, that's not good. But I'm going to show you something about bones. Bones is a little empty-headed, okay? Now, hopefully, in your head, there is a brain, right? And that brain is connected to the body through a nervous system, like this one right here. And you notice that coming out of the spine are these little uh, yellow nerve endings. And what happens is the brain tells the body, hey, I want you to move your foot, right? And we walk. It tells us when we're hungry. It tells us when to go to sleep. But sometimes we can have these blockages in our life. We can get out of alignment. And when we get out of alignment, like with this spine, sometimes there is pressure put and there are certain nerves that don't get to communicate. Chiropractors call that subluxation, where there is a gap between the messages that the brain is sending to the body because of blockages. And so what happens is when we get out of adjustment, we need to go get adjusted. Now, that can happen for a couple of different reasons. Sometimes it's a sudden thing in our life, like a car wreck and we get this whiplash. 
more often than not, it is a slow process. So slow that we don't notice at first that our body is out of alignment. Because most of us put ourselves into these positions in life that put pressure against us. For me, oftentimes as I'm sitting, look at my body over a computer like this, it starts to put pressure. And those muscles start to pull against and pull me out of alignment. And so I go to the chiropractor. And what does a good chiropractor do? They adjust you, right? They put you back into alignment. That's a good chiropractor. A great chiropractor will also give you some exercises to do so that adjustment will hold longer. Now, for me, because I carry a lot of my stress in my upper body and my shoulders and my neck and that kind of a deal, they give me simple exercises like this. So kind of seems weird, but we'll do a little exercise in church. You've got to hold your arms like this, 15, 20 seconds, and then I go to this position, and then I come to this position, and they're pretty easy. But here's what starts to happen to me. I start to get to feeling better. And I go, you know, I, I just don't think I need to do those anymore. And guess what happens? The pressures, because of the position that I put myself in in life, pull me back out, and I'm no longer in alignment. Now, here's one of the exercises that they have me do, and this is the one that's the easiest and the one I like the least because I'm a little vain. You ready? It's way better from the side. You ready? Call it the turtle. Got to name your exercises to have some fun with it, right? Now, see, there's, there's times when I'm traveling in the airport and stuff, and I can do these exercises, you know, and stretch like this. And, you know, other people like, oh, that's probably a good idea. You know, we're all kind of a little stiff from the flight. But when you're over in the corner doing this, <laughs> people are like, security, we got a weird ninja turtle thing over here. So sometimes they're embarrassing. So we quit doing them. Do you realize that spiritually we have a head? That is Christ. And we are the body. And that as the head, Jesus wants to transmit truth into our life. But sometimes we have these subluxations. We have these blockages in our life because we get out of alignment with the will of God. And sometimes that's the car wreck. We go off the rails and we end up, we have an affair. We jump into pornography or we get drunk or whatever it is and we're completely out of alignment. But do you know what happens to most of us in the Christian life? It's a slow fade. We put ourselves in these positions where sin and pressure puts its, its influence upon our lives and it starts to pull us out of alignment. And so you know what God does? Christ comes into our life like a chiropractor and he says, Giles, you need an adjustment. I got to crack your stiff neck because I don't like stiff neck preachers. And you see... That's exactly the message that Stephen preached to the Pharisees. And we can all get into that mode of being a Pharisee from time to time. Where we know the truth, but we don't live the truth. Information, but no transformation. And so, sometimes that is an emotional adjustment. Sometimes that is a spiritual adjustment. Sometimes it's an attitude adjustment. You ever had an attitude adjustment from Jesus? I have. A couple of months ago, my attitude was not in keeping with a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, what did Jesus say? On the table. It's time for an adjustment, Giles. And sometimes those aren't the most fun times. But I'll tell you, you feel a lot better after that adjustment. 
Because you see, it affects everything in our life. When we get out of alignment physically, it affects our sleep. And we don't sleep as well. And it's a compounding issue because we don't sleep well that we got more issues. We end up, our body doesn't heal well because of that. We have more issues and it just compounds until we get into alignment. But God doesn't just adjust us. He also gives us some exercises to do, right? To protect us from these influences that want to pull us out of alignment. Exercises like being in the Word of God. Reading His Word. Exercises like prayer where we spend time talking to God. Exercises like being in fellowship with other Christian believers and not just corporately but within life groups. And my prayer and hope is that you will embrace John and Mary and you will not see life groups as this thing to push back against but to join and to get involved. It's, it's God's ultimate plan for us. One of the exercises that you need. But see, sometimes what happens in my life is I'm like going along and I've got my adjustment and I'm doing some exercises and I feel really good about where things are at in my Christian life. I'm like, I don't need to read the Word today. I can kind of skip some exercises. And what happens? It's not long before I'm out of alignment. It is the story of the nation of Israel. Constantly out of alignment with God. God comes and rescues them and realigns them. And what happens? They do their exercises for a while. They walk with Jesus for a while. And then it's, I think I can handle life myself. I don't really think I need time for Jesus. I just need time for Netflix. What happens? We end up out of alignment. Do you realize you have an enemy, Satan, that wants nothing more than to pull you out of alignment with Jesus? And Jesus said this of Satan. He said, he is the father of lies and in him there is no truth, not a shred of truth. You don't have to listen to the father of lies. You can listen to the father of life. And you and I need to understand that man's first interaction with Satan was one of lies. What happened in the garden? God told them the truth. You eat from this tree, you will die. That's the truth. It's a hard truth, but I love you enough to tell you what will harm you and hurt your life. Well, what did Satan do? I don't care about you. I want to kill, steal, and destroy And so he lied. And he said, you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. You'll live forever. It'll be great. Now, who was right? Adam and Eve aren't here. They're dead. And sometimes God tells us things in his word, and we're like, I don't don't, don't know if I want to trust you. I'm going to trust the enemy. I'm going to listen to the lies. Church, let me ask you a question. Do you want to live your life based on the truth or the trash? Because if we're not careful, we will become what I call dumpster diving disciples. Where we come to church and we listen to the truth and we embrace the truth. And then rather than getting up on Monday and jumping back into the truth, we jump into the trash. Now, if you came to my house, right? And and you saw me, my trash can, my big trash can in my kitchen's under the sink. And I had my head stuffed in the trash can. This was me. And you came to my house, and you saw me like this. You'd be like, Giles, what are you doing? I'm just looking for some good stuff. There's got to be something good in here. What would you say? There's nothing good in the garbage. Get your head out of the garbage. Now, you and I need to understand that God called us to live in the light, not in the lies. And I want to challenge you. Stop looking for truth in the garbage and start looking to God. It's here that you and I 
after we have learned to be truth walkers, can be truth talkers. Some of us, we want to flip that around. I want to be a truth talker before I'm a truth walker, but that doesn't work. And you notice what it says here, number two, when it comes to being a truth talker. It says, though, instead of being immature children tossed about by the lies, we are to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And it says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you want to grow up in your Christian faith, you've got to learn to tell yourself the truth. You've got to start listening to the truth. You've got to start speaking the truth. Otherwise, you and I, like I said, will be like the Pharisees, where we know the truth, but we don't really live the truth. And we end up in these spots where when the wise men come to visit, and Herod says, hey, where's Jesus going to be born? We know the answer. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Bethlehem. And it's five miles down the road, and we never go. Isn't that amazing? Information, no transformation. I mean, wouldn't you think if you knew that the Messiah was going to be born five miles from here, you'd be like, it's Bethlehem. Come follow me. I'll show you. I want to go. They knew the answer, but they didn't know Jesus. You see, the key to maturity here is that we will be full of what? Knowledge? No. Full of love. And sometimes we forget that in the church and we're like, man, if I just cram more scripture into my head and I just know a bunch of things... And it's important for you to put Scripture into your life, but for what purpose? To fill you with love. Otherwise, if it's just knowledge, it will fill you with pride. And you walk around all puffed up. I know all the Bible. I just don't live it. So how do you and I learn to speak the truth in love? Well, the most critical thing that I have discovered in my life is I cannot divorce this statement, speak the truth in love, from the other characteristics of love. And this is what we do all the time. We separate truth from the other characteristics of love. And what were those characteristics? Patience, kindness, forgiveness, humility. So what does that look like for me to speak the truth in love? It means I've got to be patient as I do that. Now, there's two ways that you can share truth. You can share truth like a bullet. Every good pastor has a couple of 45s in his pocket. I don't know why, but we just do. Just kidding. But this is a bullet, a 45 caliber bullet. And you can share truth like a bullet or you can share truth like a seed. Now let's take a look at how most of us share truth and we do it like it's a bullet. This is a toy gun. Do you know how hard this is to get in our politically charged climate? Oh my goodness, we don't let kids play with toys anymore. But here's the thing. We take truth. I am going to go share that truth with my spouse, right? And we're going to take our bullet of truth, and it's solid, and and we're convinced that this is truth. And so we load it up, and we give them both barrels. You ever done that? What, I'm just telling the truth? You ever said that? Somebody's got to tell the truth around here. And we wonder why there's a bunch of people that are shredded, and destroyed in our life, sharing the truth like a bullet. What if we shared it like a seed? Farmers plant seeds. It's what they do for a living. And what's the first thing a farmer has to do after he plants a seed? It's got to be patient, right? 
Because what has to happen? It has to take root and it has to grow. And what if I were willing to share truth like a seed instead of blasting you with truth and being like, did my job. I let them have it. Guns are not the vehicle of love. Bullets are not the vehicle of love. You and I need to learn to plant seeds into people's lives, seeds of truth, and then we need to learn to be patient to let them start to grow, to take root. You see, here's the reality. We've got to plant seeds and pull weeds. If you want to share truth, you've got to plant seeds and you've got to be willing to pull some weeds. And you've got to be willing for that truth to grow and give it time. Give it space. That's what Jesus did. The next one is kindness. I will never forget, we had this guy in our life group, and I've been this guy at times in my life early on. And some of you have been this guy. That he was always interrupting people in life group. He always thought he knew everything. If somebody told a story, he'd have a bigger story. I mean, somebody could say, hey, this weekend we were out at Lake Minotaur and we caught a three-ton whale, and he'd somehow have caught a bigger fish. I mean, it didn't matter how impossible the story was. And what started to happen is people didn't want to be around him. And I could see as a life group leader that we were going to have a major problem pretty quick. So I asked him to come over one evening and to go for a walk with me. And as we walked along, we were talking about life, and I asked him this question. I said, do you ever feel like people don't want to be around you? And he said, yeah, man, all the time, since I was a little kid. So I asked him the second question. Would you want to know why? Yeah, I really want to know why. Do you know why? He said, I think I might. So I started to share with him, well, you're just a jerk. That's why people don't want to be around you. No, that's not what I did. That's not kindness. Again, I just got my bullets out, right? I'm loading up the shotgun. Here, that'll really help you in your life. No, it won't. Here's what I said to him. I said, it's because a lot of times you interrupt people. You feel like you have to one-up people. He started to share with me. He's like, I never had a dad growing up. And what I discovered is no one ever really taught him how to have relationships and conversations. He wasn't a jerk. He came across like a jerk, and so most people just want to tell him the truth without love. You're a jerk. Get lost. He wasn't at all. And so he and I started to spend some time and learn some social skills. How did I know those social skills? I had a dad that actually taught me. I had an advantage. He had a disadvantage. Am I willing to come alongside and help him? It was amazing. The first time in life group when, when someone went to say something and he almost interrupted him and he said, oh, I'm so sorry for interrupting. He goes, go ahead. I totally value what you have to say. And everyone was like, what happened? It was amazing to see the transformation. But are you willing to share the truth in love, love being kind? We have to share the truth in forgiveness, right? The goal of the Christian life is not to condemn people, but to restore people. Are you willing to forgive? And then you and I have to share it in humility. Gary Chapman, the author of the Five Love Languages, tells an amazing story. A man came to him one day and he said, I had to tell my brother the truth and it was really hard. He said, I knew that my brother was cheating on his wife. But before I shared that with him, I prayed, and God reminded me to be humble. And so I went to him and I said this, I love you, and and what you need to know is I could so easily be in your shoes. 
It could be me that you're having the conversation with versus me having the conversation with you. And what I want you to know is I love you so much, I'm willing to have the conversation. And I would hope that you would love me enough as a brother to have this conversation with me. I know you're cheating on your wife. Now, what if he had gone and said, I can't believe you're cheating on your wife. I mean, I would never do that. How despicable of you. Isn't it amazing how superior we feel when it comes to sin? Like we've got it all together. No, we don't. We're all a mess. We're all following Jesus and allowing him to work on these different areas of our lives. And I'm reminded of Galatians 6.1. When a brother falls into sin, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, restore them gently and be careful lest you also fall into sin. Did you hear that? What's a mature believer look like? They're humble and they're gentle and they care enough to come alongside and to confront things in a loving way, not to blast people. But they always keep in mind this one truth, that could be me. And the moment that you don't keep that truth in mind, you will become a Pharisee. You will see yourself as superior to sin. You will come at people instead of coming alongside people. Number three. Not only are we to be truth walkers and talkers, but we are to be truth hearers. Are you willing to hear the truth? You and I need to be reminded that so often we want to tell the truth and not hear the truth. We're good at giving advice, but are we good at receiving that advice? You see, there are some of you as a dad who are angry all the time at home. And the reason that no one tells you that is because if your kids came and said, hey, dad, I think you have an anger problem. They're speaking the truth and they love you. You'd blow up at them. You wouldn't listen to them. And some of us are that person. You can't handle the truth. Imagine you go to see the doctor for your annual physical and The doctor tells you, you are the perfect specimen of health. You're almost an Olympian. That feels good. And you walk out of his office and you get to work and you're climbing some stairs and your heart gives out. Unfortunately, there's an ambulance that gets you and they take you to the hospital and they resuscitate you and they take care of you. And you discover in recovery that you are one jelly donut away from the Grim Reaper because your arteries are blocked. How are you going to feel about the doctor? Later, after you've recovered, you go see your doctor and you say, Hey, doc, you know, you told me I was an Olympian. Do do you know that I had a heart attack? And he goes, Yeah, I'm not surprised. I knew when you came in that you were in worse shape than the Pillsbury Doughboy. But I didn't want you to feel bad. I wanted you to feel loved. I wanted you to feel accepted. Let me ask you, do you feel loved and accepted? No, you feel lied to. And some of you, that's what you're doing in your, in your marriages. You're like, I'm not going to confront this thing because I just, I just, I don't want them to feel bad. You'd want to know the truth, right? If it was life-threatening. And so I, I want to encourage you. The Bible talks a lot about you and I being approachable. It's part of the maturity of the Christian life that, that people can come to you and you're open to hear the truth that they want to share into your life even if they don't deliver it in the way that they're called to. That's between them and the Lord. But it's still truth. And I've had some people yell at me some things, and I didn't really appreciate the shotgun approach. 
But there were some grains of truth that I had to start sifting through. And I could have just dismissed it and said, well, they didn't approach me right, so I'm not listening to truth. No, a mature believer, regardless of how that comes at us, is going to sift through that. And the Bible tells us that we are to be approachable, correctable, teachable. Here's what it says in Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is a fool. Proverbs 25.12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Proverbs 15.21, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Proverbs 27.6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Words are powerful, and we've got to be careful how we share them because here's what Scripture also says in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it eat of its fruit. But it also says this, Proverbs 12.18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You and I need to be willing to listen to truth, to be approachable, to be correctable, to be teachable. One of the life verses that has been so helpful to me in relationships is Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen. You see, you and I need to ask ourselves a couple of questions when we talk to people. What are my motives? Why am I sharing what I'm sharing? What do I hope to accomplish? Because if I hope to just make them feel bad so I can feel good, I probably need to shut up. But is my motive to help them to grow, to love them, to care for them, to have their best interests in mind? We also need to plan our presentation. What am I going to say and what am I not going to say? When am I going to say it? Timing is absolute key. And we also have to be willing to give a healthy dose of affirmation. This is not sugarcoating sin, but this is honey so that people find it acceptable. And for some of us today, we're like, oh, that's just one of those snowflake things that they came up with because people can't handle the hard truth. Now, if we go 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing to the church, he said a lot of hard, hard things to the church. Do you know that all of those letters were read out loud to the church? Can you imagine me in a congregation and Paul wrote us a letter and he has to confront some sins that are going on in our congregation and we're all like, oh, man, that's me. But Paul never starts his letter that way. He always starts it this way. I'm praying for you. I love you. I care about you. Why? Because we need to know that as people. Because Paul understood that when we present truth with love, people will accept it. Otherwise, people tend to reject it. And then he always ended his letter by reaffirming his love for them. Are you giving a healthy dose of affirmation? Last point, number four. We have to be truth bearers. Are you willing to bear the truth? Are you willing to be a light in a world full of lies? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they give praise to God. Are you willing to let this little light shine? Because we live in a very dark world today and we need to be sharing the truth that good people don't go to heaven. That's what the world is preaching today, that good people go to heaven. No, God's people go to heaven. And it's not because they're good, it's because God was good and he sent Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. Because the Bible says this, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
and the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we willing to share that truth? But we can't just go yell that at people, shotgun approach. We've got to do it in love. We've got to share that while we're being kind, while we're being humble, while we're being forgiving, while we're being patient with people. Are you patiently praying for the people who have not accepted Christ yet or have you written them off because you're impatient? You see, Jesus Christ came to die for me and he came to die for every single one of you. And my prayer this morning is that your journey would include Jesus, that you wouldn't be journeying alone, that you would know how much God the Father loves you and that his son was willing to die for you as a substitute for your sin. Are we going to share that truth with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers? Throughout the centuries, there have been a lot of people that have stood up for truth. Luther, as he nailed the proclamation to a corrupt Catholic church. And sometimes, especially fundamental churches, tend to hammer on the Catholics. Do you know what? We can be just as corrupt as them if we start basing things on our wants instead of the Word of God. But he sat down and he went, okay, they're teaching this stuff just like we read about in the passage. And it sounds good, but wait a minute, it doesn't line up with the word. And so he took a pen and he started to write, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth. Are we going to base it on the nails of the cross of Jesus Christ? But it cost him. We have no idea today the rift that that created in the religious world. Truth. It split the church in two. You see, Martin Luther, as he got up and he shared that it's not about the color of your skin, but it's about your character. Man, that rocked this country not very long ago. We were segregated and divided. Why? Because no one was willing to share the truth. No one was willing to stand in the gap for the truth. And so we became bigots. And we separated people up. You're not good enough to drink out of that water fountain. That one over there is for you. You can't sit on this bus. And if you do, you've got to sit at the back. That's not what the Bible teaches. All of us are sinners. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's not about your color. It's about Jesus Christ. Are we willing as a church to stand up for the sanctity of life? Are we willing as a church to stand up for the sanctity of sexuality and God's plan for marriage? And I hear all the time in the church, oh, it's a homosexual issue. No, it's a sexual issue, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. It is a disobedience to God's plan. God's plan is not for us to live together before we get married. God's plan is for us to be pure and to live out the way that he wants us to live. And that's become increasingly hard in the culture in which we live today. Are you willing to stand up for truth when it comes to the oppressed and the poor and the downtrodden? It's so easy for us in our comfortable American lives to just sort of ignore all of that. But we've got to stand for truth, but we have to do it in love. Here is my prayer for us as a congregation and for myself that we would be so overpowered by the love of Jesus Christ that as we live in that love, we would learn to love ourselves first. And as we learn to love ourselves, we would learn to allow that love to spill over and we would lavishly love those around us. That's our number one priority. 
Share the truth. Share it in love.